I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. 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 Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. Uh, I'm flying solo this week. As it turns out, the uh, the time that we normally record our show, um, Brother Tom uh, had a commitment uh, down at the uh, rescue mission center where he works at, and uh, unfortunately came to join us this week. But we've got a great guest this week on Future Quake. Uh, we've got Mr. John Sparks, um, who is many things, an engineer, mathematician, uh, an author, a poet, uh, and somebody I think you're going to find to be very fascinating, a gentleman I've known for many decades, someone I've won on our show for a long time. And the theme of our show is A Thinking Christian's Journey of Faith. And we're just going to sit down to have a good extended talk with uh, an amazing Christian man, and I hope you all enjoy it, uh, at least the part when he's talking and not me rattling on. But I think you'll enjoy what he has to share. And so with no further ado, here is Brother John Sparks. And then we'll be back to wrap it up here at Future Quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And uh, we have a very, very special guest uh, with us this week. Uh, I'm flying solo this week uh, because our good friend Tom Bionic was called away uh, to his work at the rescue mission downtown doing some things there that they needed done. And I know he's going to hate to miss this because someone who is very, very dear to me has uh, joined us after a long time of me wanting to have him on our show. And uh, he's going to bless you all uh, and what he has to share with us tonight. We have with us John Sparks, uh, who is many things, uh, including being an engineer, mathematician, uh, an instructor, an author, a poet, uh, in just a few books, I can mention, uh, he can correct me if I have some of these titles wrong here, but uh, uh, One Small Thought, uh, Poems from Ohio, uh, Calculus Without Limits, Almost, uh, Pythagorean Theorem, Crown Jewel of Mathematics, uh, Statistics in the Service of Science, The Handbook of Essential Mathematics, Gold Hay and Stubble, Mixed Images, Rhyme for All Seasons, and so much more that he's going to be sharing with us this week, and we're going to talk about a, a topic I call a thinking Christian's journey of faith. And we're going to have Mr. Sparks here, someone very dear to me as a spiritual mentor, share with you all a little bit of what's going on in his life, what the Lord's done through him uh, that, that maybe we can all learn from. So having said that, Mr. Sparks, I just want to tell you it is great to have you join us for your first Future Quake visit and what I'm sure is going to be a fascinating discussion. Well, Dr. Future, we I'm just real pleased to be here on your show. Well, uh, I uh, and I extend uh, greetings from uh, friends and family who know you from a long time ago, and the future always been an interest of mine. Um, I can't wait to get started with Doctor Future. <laughs> well, you know, when I thought about the kind of guest that I was intended for a, a unique forum like Future Quake, I had somebody like you in mind. Uh, someone who should be, whose opinions should be regularly heard on mainstream media, but they're not. But they're going to be heard here tonight. So um, I, I, I want to start out, since this is your first visit with us, um, and can I call you John? You bet. Okay. Uh, since your first visit with us, John, could you tell us just a little bit about yourself and your background, including your education and career upbringing, that kind of thing? Sure. 
not the future. I'm a native Ohioan, age Buc- 64 now. Buckeye. I'm a Buckeye. Okay. Um, and a few things, uh, if I can put in some plug for, for our state up here, is that I have thoroughly enjoyed being a Buckeye lifelong. Uh, I view it as a microcosm of America. The county that I grew up in, Green County, is a microcosm of Ohio. Therefore, it is a microcosm of America. And I've had, uh, I think, a rich experience here in Green County and in Vinny, Ohio, which we characterize as a little big town. <laughs> so, yeah. um, anyway, so lifelong Ohioan, uh, Vinny High School graduate, class of 1965, uh, sociologically, the last of the 50s classes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we thought the same way as the class of 1955. Mm-hmm. So uh, it kind of changed over in 1966. Uh, but we were the last of the uh, mentally of uh, 60s classes. I yeah. uh, went to Wright State University here in Fairborn, Ohio, graduated with a degree in mathematics in 1969. Um, got my second ma- uh, master's from the same place in mathematics in 1971, a second master's from Air Force Institute of Technology and Engineering in 1980. In 1968, which was, from what I gather, the uh, the hottest year since uh, one of the years in the Civil War, one of the most divisive. I met my wonderful wife, Carolyn. Uh, she's been with me ever since. Hmm. So wow. that was one year after the summer of love. <laughs> well, she may have had something to do with making that a hot summer for you, too. Yeah, she, yeah. And, and so that, uh, and... Uh, we have two boys, and recently we became grandparents for the first time. We have a small grandson, about three weeks old, who now lives in Lincoln, Nebraska. Well, we're happy with that. Congratulations. So, yeah, now, I see, you were an early baby boomer, right? Yes, early oh, so, baby, okay, uh, 1947. Yeah, first, first couple years uh, uh, of the baby boom. So you grew up in sort of a, a classic golden age of what we consider Americana. I did, uh, Dr. Future, but uh, well, let's just go off on that for a second, uh, from 1947 on to maybe 1951. The 50s, when I was in grade school, all through the 50s, uh, the, as the novelist said, the 50s were the best of times and the worst of times. And as a child, I experienced the best of times. In Americana, as you say, uh, Lassie, Eoc, E, uh, just wonderful things. But globally, being the son of an era, World War II veteran and who worked at Bright Patterson Air Force Base up here in Dayton, Ohio, it was the worst of times because we were very close to the duck and cover and the bombs that went off and the testing through the early 50s. And we kids, I think, grew up, one hand, in Nirvana, if you want to use an Eastern term, another mm-hmm. hand with apocalypse hanging over our heads. And we felt it. Mm-hmm. So we were torn left way. And I think that actually colored a lot about uh, 
early on, on uh, how I viewed life and living, even though I couldn't put a biblical structure on it at that early age. But, mm. but the fear was there. Okay. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I'm sorry. Oh, go well, ahead. <laughs> I, I was going to say in the interest of full disclosure to our audience, um, yeah. I had the pleasure of having you as my direct supervisor for my, my first permanent adult employment. Uh, I had worked as a co-op student at General Electric uh, several times as an engineer, but but my first really permanent job in my career as an adult uh, happened very very curiously, and I and I have to tell this story because I think our Futurians can relate to this, knowing me. Um, I went and interviewed a, in a few places at a big military base. My family background had no connection whatsoever to military, or in fact anything white collar professional. And I can remember driving up to this monstrous facility, going into this beautiful, gleaming building, uh, which was called the Foreign Technology Division at the time. It was the mm-hmm. the intelligence force for the Air Force. And uh, they had uh, offered to interview me for a job there. And uh, when I went and interviewed there, it's beautiful, beautiful place, really classy. And uh, they said that uh, they would be working on stuff. And it was my work would be about things, and that was as far as they went. And I wasn't used to that kind of culture and environment, and my head was sort of spinning. And uh, since I was from Louisville, I knew I needed to get out of Yankee Land and get out of there as quick as I could. So I got to turn around and drive back home and shake the dust off my feet. When I got a call at the last minute, where they said there was some fella on the other side of the military base that wanted to interview me, and. Uh, so I reluctantly agreed to go, uh, having thought it would just be a little slight detour on my way home. Uh, and I went to a, another area of the base that wasn't quite as glamorous. It was sort of dirty and backwards, and I can remember seeing steam come up out of the little sewer pipes in the ground and things like this. <laughs> and I came in this little dumpy building and walked down this hall and walked into the room where I thought. And when I walked inside, instead of seeing these military officers with keen precision and having things look like a NORAD NORAD station. I walk in, and a room is in total darkness. And it's completely darkness except for one little tiny desk light that's that's on the table. And I see a man in there talking on the phone. And I remember him waving me in. And uh, uh, as I'm looking around waiting for him to get off the phone, I, I look and see like there's a... It, what looks almost to be like a black light poster on the wall of a huge cave... Uh, something extremely ominous, like you would see at a hookah party or something on the wall. <laughs> and a number of other strange artifacts. I can remember a terrarium with some plastic dinosaurs in it, uh, multicolored dinosaurs. And uh, when you got off the phone, you introduced yourself to me. And after a brief time of discussion, you, you said that uh, you were going to make me an offer the next day for a job after we chatted, uh, which I knew I would refuse. And uh, the next morning, you got me up out of bed in the morning. I think it was like 6 in the morning. You called and offered me a job. And uh, I said, well, I think I'm going to go back and work with my former employer at General Electric. And you said, well, I was going to interview with them at that time. And you said, I'll call you the exact time a week from now. And uh, I went and did my interviews with General Electric, uh, planning to go back there. I sort of laid a fleece out that uh, if they didn't give me an offer, that I'd reconsider the one back at the military base. And uh, they put me through a gauntlet of psychological tests, even though I had worked for them for two years. 
and uh, never could reach me. Uh, they kept trying to call me and reach me, and we'd miss each other on the phone. And sure enough, to the minute, at 6 a.m. the following Friday, you called, and I decided that that was of the Lord and took the job, and my life has never been the same since. So I know that's a little little long story, and I don't know if I've ever even told you that, John. But uh, that was Not my... the future, this is first. <laughs> well, that was Didn't my introduction first, huh? to you. And uh, you became a, uh, very much of a spiritual mentor to me for a long number of years, really through my formative years of adulthood. And uh, that's why I wanted to be able to share you with our listeners, because much of what you shared with me was ahead of its time. And I wasn't able to fully digest much of what you had shared and gone through until many, many years later, and probably the exercise of Future Quake to even start to put some of the pieces together. Um, so beyond what you shared with me, as far as your wisdom over the years, it's really impacted our spiritual path. I want to begin our discussion, if you can just share a little bit about your religious upbringing and your spiritual sure. state up to the time that I really made your acquaintance at that time in the mid-'80s. What, what was your spiritual heritage up to that time? Okay. Well, in a formal church setting, I was brought up Presbyterian, 50s, uh, 60 style, uh, conservative Presbyterian, uh, but not uh, overly so. Mm-hmm. But, uh, my parents were both, uh, churchgoers. Uh, my father kind of dropped out of church uh, through part of the later 60s when the church, all churches, were wrestling with the Vietnam thing. Uh, he, being a World War II veteran, um, did not uh, really approve of churches being uh, anti-war, if you will. Okay. At that particular time. And I uh, was uh, a little bit that way myself in the church. And so I enjoyed my church experience as a, as a young person. And uh, to the point where I decided I wanted to go to a seminary. And after I... Uh, received my master's degree here at Rice State. Uh, I pursued a then long-term dream. I was uh, thinking about becoming a Presbyterian pastor myself, and I went to Louisville Presbyterian Seminary, mm-hmm. and um, I flunked out. And this is something that I thought I haven't told you. Mm-hmm. So no. well, this will be full disclosure on um, this show. Uh, the reason being is because I'm lifelong ADHD of severe learning disabilities and former reading problems. So no wonder you didn't amount to anything and only got a couple of master's degree in science. Uh, but in <laughs> things that, well, in things that ha- have a highly visual language that you can follow. Right. And an active language. So you learn to adapt. Right, and for all the listeners out there, that's uh, that's just some practical secular advice. Mm-hmm. Let the Lord, um, the Lord will give you your strengths. The Lord will give you your weaknesses. Well, use those strengths to His glory. The weaknesses, don't worry about. Rely on Him for the strength in those places. Uh, that's right. I've had to my whole life, and so uh, 
obviously that was shut off to me, the seminary. It was a depressing period of time, that particular time. Uh, but I, uh, it, um, I bounced back, uh, eventually came to the base. And, um, but one thing did happen at the seminary. Let me uh, go ahead and, and go back there. Um, I actually thought I was being banned to hell because I went to seminary. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a very trying time uh, for me. Um, I had dreams for years after that. I believe they all quit before I met you, Dr. Future, but um, of uh, quitting seminary and dastardly things happening to me. Um, and you, you can see where that kind of relates back to the concept of God. Mm-hmm. And But the other thing that happened... Uh, at the seminary, after I quit the seminary, I went into a drugstore there in Louisville, uh, picked up a copy of Hal Lindsey's The Late Great Planet Earth. Mm-hmm. What year was and this? This would have been 1972. 72. Hmm. Yes. I can remember my brother and I getting it in 1976 in a Kmart. Just sitting there on a shelf. And he yeah. read it, he read it through in one night and I read it through the next night. It changed my life. Yeah. Okay. It. It. Now, we can argue about about the you know what's in it now. Although it right. it, it, it is really it, it still gives you goosebumps if you read which, it. And, uh, which we do all the time. We argue about that all the time on this show. But that's neither here nor there. That's great. <laughs> and that's that's wonderful. But the fact that it was a it, it was a life changing book because mm-hmm. it started to put structure on just kind of like a feeling that I had on in general where America was heading, the world was heading, you know, I didn't see us, you know, goose-stepping to a, to, a, uh, to a new heaven, a new earth, if you will. I, you know, I, I, I saw the decline, but I couldn't put flesh on it because I, I grew up in an environment, okay, where the Bible was more of a book for uh, daily living mm-hmm. instead of something concrete that allowed you to see how the world was going to unfold. Mm-hmm. So this was a whole new vision for me, what Hal Lindsey uh, mm-hmm. pre- presented. Okay, and eventually... And eventually um, got me to the point where, you know, I, I saw the NSA. Mm-hmm. It was biblical prophecy that, that got me there. And it was Lindsay's book, which was the trip. Okay, the the initial introduction, and it allowed me to put structure on everything I seen, and, and I, couldn't, I couldn't place it. I, I couldn't fit it because I never studied prophets. You know, I, you know, I was, I was a Jesus guy, and I, we... We studied New Testament, we looked at little stories, the parables, and, uh, you know, we try to extract meaning, meaning from that for everyday life to live, you know, become, becoming good people. Right. <laughs> so, so, um, that was an important thing that happened to me in global. Besides our old stuff anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. But now, you, you actually, uh, eventually at the time I knew you had joined another Conservative evangelical denomination, correct? Exactly, and now uh, the dear, uh, my dear friends, the Nazarenes. 
Okay. okay. Uh, we we bounce back and forth. In fact, I think we could probably uh, properly characterize the day as Nazarians or Presbyterians. Okay. <laughs> and um, and uh, we uh, went there. Um, and, and basically, what happened, Doctor Future, when we moved back from Louisville, and I took the job at Wright Harrison Air Force Base in January of '74. Uh, after about a year and a half, uh, our oldest son was ready for uh, daycare. Well, daycare was. Uh, just a hop, skip, and jump within walking distance of uh, our little house that we live in then, and it was at the Nazarene Church. Mm-hmm. And oh. you followed your children. What, what kind of groove? What kind of groove did you get into there at the at the Nazarene Church? Okay. Uh, well, the uh, the groove was uh, church service two or three times a week. You had your Sunday morning, you had your Sunday evening, you had. Um, Oh, wow. Wednesday, prayer meeting, Bible study. Uh, I was a Sunday school teacher. I was also did, I also did that in the Presbyterian Church. Uh, I kind of had to get, I, I had to kind of suck it up and, and force fit a little Wesleyanism there. But that was, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's okay. Um, yeah, it's hard for me to imagine that, but I'll take your word for it. Uh, <laughs> you do what you have to do. Uh, yeah. But uh, I was also on the uh, on the school board. I had a Christian school there, uh, and and I made a lot of dear friends, and I have a lot of dear friends still from the Nazarene Church. Um, one thing that did happen at the Nazarene Church, and this may be new information, is I had my own way, um, my whole life, positive religious experience. And we'll let's chat about that right now. Okay, this is uh, was very interesting to me. This this was good old fashioned Omicron. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically, uh, in the uh, Nazarene Wesleyan uh, tradition, okay, this was the call for the second blessing, sanctification. Mm-hmm. So they uh, so we had a evangelist come in, and we had a. Um, all the call after the evangelistic service, and, and of course, you know, the, the whole thing is a precipitated crisis uh, yeah. from which you get release uh, from uh, for accepting you know, by accepting Jesus Christ or whatever it is. Okay, it's crisis then release. Okay, yeah. pretty pretty uh, pretty you know well known psychological pattern there. Uh, I went to the altar, okay, because I wanted this thing called. Second blessing. Well, uh, you know, it's a typical joke. So, you know, some people are saying let go, and other people are saying, well, hang on. That <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, type of thing. Um, it actually happened. What happened? And that's what I'm going to talk and say now. 30 years, I can look back and I can tell you. Okay, exactly what happened. Okay, I basically had a frontal lobe in um, forehead orgasm. Okay. Um, what happened is that, okay, I lost all sense of self. The eye disappeared. And I'm using kind of 
quasi-technical terms uh-huh. now, okay? Yeah. I would not say that at the time, okay? But I've, I've, since it hasn't happened since, and it basically felt like an orgasm out through the frontal part of my forehead, and you, you could almost say I was gay for a few minutes, uh-huh. okay? Because it's like somebody broke open the old song, Love Potion Number 9, and I started kissing everything in sight and weeping like a baby. <laughs> yeah. And the feeling and the feeling was that. Yeah. Okay, it was a magnetic draw. Euphoria. Euphoria. And it was definitely through frontal lobe out the front of my skull. Well they you know, the the pastors there just jumped up and down and somebody had broken through and I was I was the one, you know. I was the one with the bottle of love potion number nine. Now I don't want to integrate the experience, but I do want to say, you know, I had an experience, okay? By the end of the day, it shut down. Mm-hmm. You boy had left, okay? And I hadn't been drinking. Okay, none of the, yeah. none, none of the above, okay? Um, and I can say to the future that uh, it, it never came back. Nothing even close. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I can, I can tell you today, okay, uh, 30, 31 years later, that um, when people talk about their experiences or getting blessed and just, you know, going giddy, okay, I can kind of look them straight in the eye. Yeah, you can relate. And say, uh, been there. Been there. I know what you're talking about. Okay, um, I don't know exactly what it was, but I can describe how it happened. And I didn't see an angelic choir, you know, it was more of a feeling type of thing, okay, I didn't lose my eyesight, okay, but the draw, the magnetic draw is, is, is there. And it's interesting, okay, if you want to get into more esoteric analysis, you know, what is it that an individual soul is, you know, when the jars of clay collapse mm-hmm. and the eye disappear, you know? I don't know. Okay, but um, Nazarene Church gave me that. And today, okay, we're back in the state Presbyterian Church, uh, who is now uh, here in Miami, uh, Presbytery. Uh, we've had four people leave over the gay issue. Uh, mm-hmm. Four churches leave the Presbytery here in the last four or five weeks. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm staying. I have my own opinions on that. I'm staying with the denomination. Uh, with uh, uh, You know, I have no, I feel no need to, to leave it. Okay, I feel comfortable in it. I can be conservative as I want. Okay, I can mm-hmm. also, you know, throw... Um, you know, throw some food for thought out there mm-hmm. uh, without being condemned for that. So mm-hmm. I'm comfortable being a conservative Presbyterian whose uh, ground, whose uh, conservatism is really mm-hmm. grounded and has been grounded uh, ever since Hal Lindsey's day mm-hmm. in the truth of biblical prophecy. Well, and I'm assuming there are many other people like you in other denominations, mainline others who might be considered more liberal, or Catholicism, things like that, there are people like you that, for whatever reason, you felt called to stay and influence. 
and we have to be very, very careful not to broad brush people, whether it's people groups, denominations, whatever like that, for this very reason. Exactly. Um, yeah, we're we're getting much too tribal, and and and, and a lot of our thinking, both as a nation, as a nation, and also as churches, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, political, you know, it, 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 it's really distressing. You know, if I if I could describe, I know we're getting off the question factor because I have all my but if I've seen a great fall in our country in our time as a second year baby boomer, mm-hmm. okay, this is it. It is the loss of all social contract mm-hmm. in, in the sense of Basically, a poem I wrote a long time ago, you know, the me, the I is trumping the we every time. Mm-hmm. And this is slowly unraveled uh, over time. I've watched it in amazement over the 45 years or so I've been an adult. Okay, it is just absolutely, you know, tear jerking. Mm-hmm. Well, well I want, I'm sorry. No, no. Continue your thought. Uh, that's it. You know, and if you, and if the readers uh, look at some of my poems, you'll see a, a, a lot of that, uh, if you will, prophetic uh, lament in there. Mm-hmm. And I don't claim to be a prophet. I'm just saying it's All a right. lament. Sure. It's a baby boomer lament. And you'll sure. see that theme over and over again. Okay, I've, I've been accused of being much too melancholy, but you, you know, I, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm broken by the tribal. Well, and heaven forbid poets to be uh, melancholy. Certainly, an unheard of <laughs> that's attribute. That's where the great poetry comes from. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to come. I want to come back to that in your perception of things now, but. Uh, I'd like to spend a good bit of time talking about what what I think I observed when I was really around you for many number of years before. I think you you happen to take a little trip outside our office, uh, and I'm not even sure I describe it properly. Uh, it was something that I wasn't used to, but I was fascinated by that I, I watched what I don't know what you could call a spiritual journey. Or something that you took, uh, some people might call it a midlife crisis or, or whatever. I'm not going to presume that I know for sure what was going on. And I may have stepped in right into the middle of it or the early stages. And so I'd like for you to describe it, and particularly if I just have this all wrong. But it seems to me about the time that I came to know you, you were somewhere in or just starting uh, a spiritual path that took you into some very interesting places. Uh, am I correct in that? And if so, what triggered it? And where were you at at the time spiritually, and what triggered the journey? Okay, Doctor Future. Yes, I did. Okay, and I and I I did kind of call it a midlife crisis or a spiritual journey. Um, I've experienced a kind of a family dissociation from that at that time with the extended family. So it's kind of a breaking with the past. Okay. And with that breaking, uh, comes, you know, uh, probably was a belated individualization effort. So always being a little bit fascinated, uh, 
you know, like uh, with X-rated videos, not that I do that, but uh, there's always, you know, like the fascination is there, uh, the forbidden fruit. Yeah. I want chasing after Eastern religions and uh, actual just good old fat uh, European occultism. Mm-hmm. Kind, of, kind of kicking tires, you know what that's all about. So those <laughs> explorations uh, uh, took me into uh, Hinduism, uh, Buddhism, uh, Madame Blavatsky. That's pretty heavy duty stuff. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, a lot of our listeners can relate to this, John. Um, this is this is a common common thing. Now, there are many of our listeners that have pretty much, you know, held fast, straight and true to your, your traditional evangelical type upbringing. And then there's others who have had a very, very different path getting where they are right now. And so mm-hmm. there's many that can relate to what you're saying. But what what was going on in your your spiritual experience at the time to lead you, that triggered you to want to do this? Oh, uh, I just felt that, again, it was one of those periods of life, you know, I, I thought I was damned anyway. So I let's go get a good job, dog. <laughs> be, now, be, because you had flunked out of school, out of seminary. I, I flunked out of school, but I had, a, like I said, I had a family crisis where the extended yeah. family was kind of like left behind. So you know, okay. again, you know, it was the same old thing. Well, I'm going to hell. Let's just find out what's mm-hmm. really there. Was, was this like exactly. an ashes ashes period, like they talk about in Iron John? Exactly. Uh, which is a, a very good book. I recommend it. Anyway. Okay. And, yeah, so uh, listeners read Iron Tone. Okay, so you, you felt uh, sure. sort of ba- banished from uh, the I regular kingdom banished. when you went on a journey? Okay. Mm-hmm. So banished, okay, you're willing to go out and wallow in the pigs or anything. Yeah, you find some jewels in there. There's a, um, what did I learn from my, you know, and I, I sampled a lot of things. In fact, I'm going to get up out of my chair right now, um, here, here it is years later, and I'm looking at uh, just a little bit of collection. Um, your readers will get a kick out of this next one. My 357 sitting here <laughs> is, uh, well, yeah, I got a CCL. Okay, so I'm back in reality. Iron yeah. John, the five, seven mysteries of life. Okay, Holy Quran. The Servant on the Mount, according to Vedanta. These are just keepers from a long time ago. Tao Te Ching. Bhagavad Gita. Everybody should read that. Mm-hmm. And read between the lines and below the surface. Unpack the mythology. Mm-hmm. Oh, here's a little book on Buddha. And then how to go, No God, by um, the Yogi Aphorisms of Anthogelia. And that is it. I probably had three or four bookshelves full of that stuff at one time, but that, those are from a long time ago. So, um, yeah, um, that's what I did. Uh, slow and surely, I turned back to a biblical conservatism, again, very well, uh, I would say, founded on two things the biblical prophecy, and the truth of Christ as revealed in it. But yet, through all that, a healthy respect for where mystery and, number two, mythology, and three, um, oh, 
what do I want to say? Um, Mr. Occult in a good sense. Yeah. Occult in its more clinical sense of just being hidden, hidden something you have to dig for. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where they really truly fit in, okay, and how to lean between the lines. As an old Nazarene pastor, now deceased, a very good friend of mine said, the best Bible reading is between the lines. I respect that statement. Yeah. And, um, and so those things hung with me, um, as I slowly moved back to where I am now, um, over a period of, oh, I'd say 10 years, Dr. Future, maybe. Was that was that sort of the length of your journey? You think? I would say ten years. Yeah. Okay. And that was and that was uh, and again all the while the world kept rolling along. Events kept happening. Uh, prophecy kept jumping back in front of my eyes and. Man, that just kind of all fit in, and you know that that was the anchor, mm-hmm. and that's and so today again I kept a few of those books. I wouldn't trash them for anything. Yeah. Uh, throughout all the well, the Askies and right, you know they, the, the the hardcore stuff. But mm-hmm. these, uh, which is good reading for anybody, I've I've kept. Uh, and, and again, I think. It allows you to go to different, to newer levels in reading the our sacred word, the Bible, uh, if you have a little bit of that cross background. Well, does it help you to understand the ancient mind in general a little bit more? Yes, yes, it sure does. Okay, and, and the use of uh, uh, mythological packing, if you will, uh, how you carry images, and I am so close to that now because I do it all the time my poetry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know. And the timelessness you know, it's a of language. Yeah, yeah it's a motive language. Right. It's a timeless carries, way of communicating too. It's something that carries from different cultures through the ages. I um, I have yeah, I've uh, yes, exactly, uh, and and. Poetry is something I've taken up in, in the last 16 years, and uh, it's, it's almost like an old friend that I never had, and, you know, here it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I find, I, you know, I communicate the same way. You carry the images, you carry the thoughts, okay, you carry the reality. It, it's all carried in this highly compact, precise, emotive, rhythmic, musical language. And, you know, and, and a good poem can extract, unpack a dozen different ways by a dozen different readers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is the timelessness of a good poem. Well, the same thing we see with Christ's parables. Exactly. Uh, same. And same I thing learned that... the unpacking process via my journey. Okay. Okay. Um, at what point... During that lengthy period of time, do you think that you resided the furthest from what we would consider evangelical orthodoxy? And I, what was the evidence of it? Either what you were reading or what you were thinking when you were at your at your you know furthest point. I forget the mathematical term of the orbit. Uh, 
perihelion uh, or something like that. But yeah, the, yeah, the, the comet out of the Oort cloud, right? Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. How, at what point were you that was sort of the turning point when it started coming back home? I think when I was probably displaying Madame Blavatsky's three-volume set on my roll-top desk at home. <laughs> uh, I had some pyramids in there for, you know, for, for uh, life-preserving life yeah. <laughs> and, and a bunch of other riblets and junk uh, that I could start to actually smell the people in the room. And so, now this was a process, uh, you know, again, um, and I remember, it, it started to bother me. Okay. You know, like, you know, where's the, where's the line? And so I found myself starting to tear this stuff up, literally, and pitch it in the, you know, trash can. And, you so, know, it's kind of like... This was a sign, I, I presume, I interpret, that God was still inside there. Right. Going, going along with you in this journey, he was willing to step up when he said enough's enough. And also, um, here you were maybe knocking on the threshold of actually getting exposed to supernatural power. In a tangible exactly. way, you were recognizing, and there was something inside you that said, hey, this is getting pretty serious. This is no longer a philosophical journey. This is something else. And either you're going to step through that threshold and what's on the other side, or you're going to go back to where you exactly. feel comfortable. Okay. Exactly, Dr. Future. Uh, okay. Exactly. Okay, so, and so, um, the first thing that went were all those uh, definitively occult type things. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I had a struggle for quite a while, which eventually, um, well, with new, quote, new age music. Yeah. Um, I don't struggle with that anymore because I have quite a collection of it. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Okay, um, I rather call it, I rather call it my modern jazz. Let's call it what it is. Yeah, it's yeah. roots are jazz yeah. and world music, and and as, and, uh, and I think I was starting to get uh, see the silliness of some of that now when, when um, basically some of my friends are label, labeling George Winston as New Age and of the devil. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Next, next it'll be a fast domino. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, you know, I have a uh, quite a collection here. I, uh, I am a collector of what I call early oh, new age yeah. <laughs> music, electronica, uh, a lot of unplugged, beautiful stuff. I love the free form and 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 the emotive power in a lot mm-hmm. of it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I don't do devil chants or anything like that, okay? That's I, good. Um, yeah, that's good. <laughs> so yeah. we, uh, it's standard labels, okay? I, I love to collect early wooden pill. 
Love it. Mm-hmm. Okay, I love early Hearts of Space, but uh, uh, they went mm-hmm. over into a, a darker, um, they actually split off, which I don't care for, don't have a bit of that, but the early, mm-hmm. more melodical stuff I did. So anyway, uh, so the listeners out there, um, I don't think it's hurt me yet. Yeah. To do that, I uh, also have quite a classical uh, question, too. Here's a little, um, at my funeral, uh, they can play the Lark of Sending by Ralph Vaughn Williams, my favorite tune of all time. Mm-hmm. Anytime. That's well, John, let me ask you. Let me ask you this time at funeral. I asked our pastor if I learned a musical instrument, if I could play in our praise and worship band. And he mm-hmm. said, yeah, he said, yes, I could. And he asked me what instrument I was going to learn for. And I told him a sitar. I want to, play some, want to play some praise sitar, you know, because you don't normally think about that. So if I learn that, would you let me pray, play some sitar there at your at your funeral? Well, yeah, I love Robert Shankar. Okay. And his daughter's very good, too. Okay. Well, a theremin. Okay. I might bring a theremin along, too. That's yeah, that is a very hard instrument to master. Okay, so you've got a lot of years, years <laughs> to, uh, hey, to do it. To do that. Hey, as you were going through this, um, yeah. you were still going to church every Sunday? Oh, uh, well, <laughs> every Sunday, but I was, uh, you know, I was, uh, I, I, yeah, I was probably pretty bipolar during that time. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, uh, I imagine a lot of listeners can relate to that because, uh, you know, yeah. everybody has these little things on the side, and that's, that's the reason it's good to get this. this these tr- and wouldn't it be nice if our churches would help people through these journeys and, and uh, these struggles in and, and a, and a nice, gentle Christian life? Well, we don't want to admit. We don't want to admit our failures at church, you know? Oh, no. No, not at all. What do you, what do you think? Is what do you think we're physicians or something? To help the ill. <laughs> exactly. uh, now, you know, here you're talking about at some phase where you've got pyramids sitting around and all these books and things like this. I've got to think you got had to have some friends, you know, sort of like how Job had friends when he went through his spiritual crisis. Mm-hmm. What did the people close to you, your Christian friends, you know, your peers, other people close to you, maybe family, whoever, what were they thinking about your journey, and what were they telling you in response? I'm talking about the ones who were Christian. Um, I think they thought I was a little crazy, and they were also a, a, a little condemning, and their their answers, their willingness to really engage wasn't there. They wanted to kind of open up the rule book and set you straight, if you will. But I'm a, I think the whole thing was maybe a little bit uh, too much to handle, and they couldn't come outside the cookbook and, and really engage like Job's friends. Yeah. You know, uh you know, they could sit around and do a few simple observations and offer, uh, you know, a few trite responses. But, you know, Job was in the struggle, but they didn't, you know, they, they, they wouldn't struggle with it. So it, it was really a lonesome journey. Were, were they worried about your soul? I think... Uh, 
but they want to kind of come on out and say it. Yeah. You know, um, but they definitely were. Uh, I'm sure I have some Christian friends who are still worried about my soul. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe some listeners, I don't know. Uh, yeah, maybe. What were the kind of things said that you found most hurtful and damaging and the kind of things that you found most helpful um, at this phase of your life? Well, most hurtful is you're crazy, straighten up, fly right. You know, when I was 40-something. Yeah. Um, what are you doing this for? Yeah. Um, not a whole lot straight up going, hey, you're going to go to hell if you, if you're, uh, if you keep this up. Then half much of that, you know, that was probably an early part of my life when I was a bratty little mm-hmm. kid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, not at that. So that, that was hurtful. Or or just, uh, we'll pray for you, brother. Yeah. Okay. You know. Uh, and hope it doesn't rub off on them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. Helpful. I mind what you're going through. I know you're going to find a way out of this, and I admire your strength for going through it. That was helpful. Yeah. And you did hear that. You heard that from some Christians. I heard that from some Christians. Yeah. And and you will find a way through this, and you'll come out stronger than that. And that was from Christians. Hmm. Well, let me ask you a personal question here. Sure. Um, what led you to share some of this journey with me? Well, Dr. Future, um, when I knew you before the age of 30, yep. um, I saw you as brought up in an orthodox way. Definitely, uh, you and some of your friends that uh, mm-hmm. come to the base. But yet, at that particular time, you were, even at the young tender age you were at the time, uh, very much more of an out-of-the-box thinker and assimilator than anyone, than, than any of the rest of them. And so I thought that, uh, why not? Mm-hmm. That was what I was looking for. I was looking for somebody who wouldn't be offended, wouldn't mind a little bit of a, you know, who, who could assimilate this in an out-of-box thinking fashion and, um, and actually have a good conversation. Mm-hmm. So, We're talking uh, about almost 25 years ago. Yeah. When, when this, and you didn't know me that long. I mean, I was your employee. Uh-huh. Right, but I perceived you as that out-of-box thinker. You had a variety of interests. Yeah. Oh, my goodness, the nightmare on Neptune. Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, yeah crazy, forget crazy the one from Yellow Springs. The Lord of the Shadows. Guns with, 
Oh, my goodness. And Gobs of Guns was never made. Never made Gobs of Guns. We talked about it. Uh, Lord, of the, <laughs> Lord of the Shadows was my second feature league shot in Yellow Springs, Ohio. So you can go on and say it. Other listeners do. I'm just playing weird. Uh, <clears throat> uh, no, Dr. Future. <laughs> may, look, may look very conventional on the outside, but, um, you know, it's just, I guess the point I'm making is that you are going through this journey, right. but the people that you touch spin off people on their own journey. Because you're absolutely right that I had a very, very conventional upbringing, uh, and I'm so thankful for it. You know, evangelical, Southern Baptist, very, very straight-laced. I tend to be sort of an imaginative person, just like the movies mm-hmm. you're talking about. So I like my imagination to go fly to faraway places and thoughts and things. But still, on my orthodoxy of what I believe, I was a little afraid to put that foot off the dock too far. Right. Uh, and then I ran into you. <laughs> and it was... <laughs> Mercy! Have and I it was, a monster? Well, well, I tell you what, I'll have to amend that because you, you had a precursor, mm-hmm. uh, someone who I've, I've only introduced you to by email who's a, a, a big friend of our show, and people immediately are probably connecting the dots here. Uh, Robert Hyde is another guy who, uh, if I was stretched at all in elastic when you met me, uh, I'm sure it was his work to a large extent. Um, but there was something unique about the journey that I exhibited through you and how it made me stretch and think. And there really wasn't anybody else that I had at the time that I could talk to about what I was hearing from you that could relate to what I thought I was learning from what you were telling me. We had good times together. I mean, good intellectual. And and sure didn't get a whole lot of stuff done on the government dime while we were there. We were uh, <laughs> probably burdens on the taxpayer from some of those talks there in the office. But the the the... the the, the interesting thing is a lot of the seeds that were planted, and maybe some of our listeners can relate to this to people in their life, they didn't germinate and, and pop up out of the ground immediately. But they certainly had a big role in 2005 bringing out Future Quake. Mm-hmm. Okay, so these are something several decades in advance that had to sort of rattle around like a ping pong ball in my head. Before they started popping out in a show like Future Quake, and it provided a forum for me to be able to meet other kind of people that were as strange as you and me. Uh, the kind of guys that could, are people who could appreciate people like a Robert Hyde or you, or many of our other guests on our show. And that's part of the real blessing we have in this day and age, uh, with the internet, and we shouldn't take that for granted, that we can find each other. But it had a pronounced effect on me, even in my orthodoxy. And, I just followed my regular, you know, clean-cut Southern Baptist time. I had my ashes period, too, during that period of time as well, too. But um, through this journey that you took, um, what were some some truths that you actually, truth and wisdom that you came across during that time and from where that has stuck with you as being somewhat useful and lasting in its influence? Life is precious. Life is a mystery. And oh, how much we think we know, Mike. Oh, I'm sorry, you're going to have to edit that. That's okay. <laughs> uh, that is Um uh, 
I have learned to appreciate the mystery of it all. And I'm very thankful for the Bible and the truth that does reveal. I stand in awe of that which is not revealed. And again, life is a mystery. The universe is a mystery. God is bigger than anything we can fathom. There's more mystery to God than anything we can fathom. And in time, and in his place, and in his time, we will be part of that mystery revealed. Mm-hmm. And I am looking forward to that. Um, and I definitely don't think this is the end all here. I definitely don't think the next phase of our eternal existence is a makeover of planet Earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not going to take it with us. And like I tell people, it's rather offensive. Who would want to? <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. And, you know, um, and I, I think just the grandeur, the mystery uh, of everything out there is a, is a truth that I did not get from the Christian Bible per se, but as I took this path, you know, okay, there's more to this world than meets the eye. There's more than five senses. There's more than um, just matter-of-fact discussions that can be verbalized, all in divine mystery. And and I I got a, a real sense of appreciation for that that I don't know. I don't know. And I'm content not to know. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the Bible doesn't tell me everything that I um, that there is to know. There is a lot of mystery that the Bible chooses not to reveal mm-hmm. because it's here in preparation for it, there, and there. I don't even want to think about what. There is. Well, let me get off on a side note here. Let, let me let me mention something on this point you made as you sure. take us there. You, you mentioned about not knowing these things, and somebody asked me on our show once if I had a life verse for our ministry here at Future Quake, and I told him it was Job forty two three, which I believe it was, and, and it's Job saying, "For I know not which of which I speak." And I thought that probably best describes us here. We we do a lot of talking about things that we don't know anything about. Exactly. We know Christ and Him crucified. Um, the old song that I sang in the five-year-old class in Sunday school, uh, you know, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to Him belong. They are weak, but He is strong. 
that has shown to be pretty true over my life. That that's that's been some deep karmic mystery there, I guess you could say, that has stuck with me. Some of the Not other for you. <laughs> some of the other details, you know, I've come uh, how how people look and and look at different kind of things. I, I've been more open, uh, whether it's a different kind of prophecy interpretation or or whatever it might be experience. Um, and, and and I guess as I see things, and correct me if I'm wrong here before you 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 launch off in a, a collateral discussion here, but um, the Bible is accurate in what it in what it reveals of God's nature and His character, accurate and sufficient, but it is not exhaustive, uh, nor is it in, nor is it intended to be. Exactly. Um, and in fact, God invites us to enjoy the pleasure of discovering the mystery of his nature, particularly because a lot of the mystery of his nature will be personal to each of us. Just like the individuals and relationships, the other personalities in our life, we will discover a a very unique part of their personality that they do not reveal to anybody else, whether it's our spouse or one of our best friends or whatever. It'll be a unique aspect that just comes on basis of the nature of our relationship. And we should not ex- expect anything different in our experience with God. And that's why the pages of paper in the Bible, although they contain the very words of truth and life that will take us to eternal glory, are, are not always the perfect means to communicate some of that deeper measure of the pleasure of our experience with the Lord. That's a beautiful catechism, and I mean that very seriously. Uh, that's very well phrased, Dr. Peterson. Well, thank you. I've I've learned from some good folk. And and that is not meant to demean the Bible at all. No. And in fact, it gives it even a further air of uh, prestige itself when it's not just simply an auto mechanics book. Exactly. It's something much more than that. It's a gateway. In a a sense, okay. It's a gateway... And a lens, and it becomes a very personal lens. Mm-hmm. But it's also universal, okay, and that there are eternal truths, universal truths, and, and overarching broadband truths in it. Jesus loves me. It's interesting, I believe it was the great John Walter, who, uh, after years of biblical study and writing all these prophecy books that, that he wrote, um, Somebody asked him, uh, he's dead now, uh, Dr. Walford, what, uh, what have you learned from all this? He burst out in song. Jesus loves me, mm-hmm. I know. Isn't that something? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I learned an individual like that, you know, who were really exhausted at the time, and especially. Right, uh, right. That was that. Was that. Huh. Old Nazarene pastor told me. Um, they keep talking about these old Nazarene pastors, don't they? Uh, good friend of mine has been there a few years now. But uh, the last good conversation we had back in old four, um, he was 86 years old, we were chatting about a lot of things. And, uh, he said, John, you know, I've been in the business for... Uh, Oh my goodness, I was a pastor for 60 years, and he was, uh, before he retired. Uh, 
He said, this I know, there's something out there. Isn't that profound? <laughs> yeah. Isn't that profound? Okay, you cut away all the hype, all the catechism, all the sermons, you know. And in the Nazarene Church, what do they call that? The manual. Yeah, the manual. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the manual, okay. And then they yeah. got roles. Okay, and a dear old pastor friend of mine. Uh, John says, yeah. I, I, I just want to mention to our listeners again, we, we have a broad palette of listeners here. Uh, yeah. Some that are somewhat newer Christians and are that are searching. And we have a lot of people who are people, long-time Christians, that are trying to think of things on a deeper level. And and they and, and are secure in their faith, and they can relate right. to what you and I are talking about. There's some of our listeners that may be younger on the path, and I don't want you all to misunderstand what's being said here. And John, you correct me if I'm wrong. What we're talking about is nothing to to disparage or to show inadequacy of a classic Orthodox Christian upbringing and even means by which to get to know God better. And, and, and a life, a lifetime of that, that that is good, it's wholesome. You can have a rewarding relationship with God. You can accomplish much for the kingdom, and be very secure in that. And there's nothing to jeopardize the innate rightness of that. Exactly. But, but I say the, amen to that. Good, amen. Well, good. We like a good old amen now and then. Yeah, I want to say amen to that to all the listeners oh. too. But. For those who want to get to know God on a deeper level and know more and more of his nature, he is amazingly flexible in one in, in accommodating our journey and in being able to show us, like the Bible says, uh, treasures old and new that we can uncover. And he is not frightened of us when we take our journeys. He is not uh, intimidated. He does not threaten his love for us. He he will let us know when we start stepping on some harmful territory. Exactly. But he, he is completely comfortable when we want to take things to the next level. Even if we err, even if we go down a fruitless path for a while, have to back up and start over. The process itself is rewarding in its own self. And, and something... Um, that that I remember that always stuck out to me that you had mentioned to me because we had some very deep conversations and I, I tell you I was hanging on for dear life talking with you just like I have with Robert Hyde and continue to do so I'm usually about 10 steps behind but I could be very frustrated in that I would try to elaborate on some of the things we discussed with other Christians and they just looked at me like I had three eyes you know or two heads and really couldn't get it and I, I'd feel a sense of frustration and I can remember you telling me something, and you said it much more eloquent than I can, but something to the effect of if 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 people cannot handle certain information, and they may even react negatively to you, they might even think there's something con- disconcerting about you or worried about your spiritual faith when you, something that they maybe misunderstand that you say, they don't understand where you're coming from on it. But not only don't worry about them, but don't disparage them. That God 
can take people, no matter how simple you want to keep your faith, and they can have a very, very rewarding faith, even through that. And they can please God, and they can accomplish much. And we need to be careful not to be judgmental when people find a, a, a level of which they feel secure Precisely. and prosper within that. Precisely. I can't agree more. But at the, know, and, and I guess the warning is on the other side. There may be people around us that want to take things to even further deeper level, and the shoe can be on the other foot. And we right. have to remember that when the roles are reversed. And to not be so quick to judge others who may be taking their own unique path in ways that we don't understand. Exactly. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, I'm, I'm just sitting here absorbing what you're saying, and I could not agree more. I think one of the great things my father taught me, and I have talked a whole lot about him, uh, uh, I will, he's a big believer in living that land. That's mm-hmm. how you would say it, uh, secular. And, and I think that is one of the things that has stuck in my life. Uh, to a very, very, very great degree. And I know further on in this interview, we got some specifics about yeah. that. But yeah, there's, there's this non-judgmental approach to things. And my father, uh, characterized that, uh, very well. Even being a, uh, an officer in World War II, and a World War II veteran in the, in the Pacific Theater, he, uh, came back with a very non-judgmental, uh, live and let with approach to life, even with regard to former enemies like Japanese, where, you know, something that was, I didn't experience with other kids' fathers. Mm-hmm. Over there. So where he picked that up, I don't know, uh, but, uh, I think it runs off. Hmm. Any, anything else that really stands out with you? through your journey that you picked up that really stuck with you as a worthwhile truth and wisdom, even through other literature you read and things, or or even gave you a new lens by which to interpret Bible passages that you hadn't been stretched enough to be able to look at a, even Bible passages in a fresh way? Uh, I think Vedanta, is, uh, of all the things I looked at, okay, and that's the esoteric core Hinduism, Okay, uh, the ancient wisdom, if you will. Okay, I think was the lens that helped me the most appreciate um, um, what's in the Bible and the different ways and different levels we can approach approach the Bible. So, yeah, I um, yeah, I I would say that was it, mm-hmm. and that's the one thing I've retained. Okay, okay, as a is a a working knowledge of that which allows me to kind of fit. Uh, didn't study Buddhism that much, although uh, it's interesting. I'm sure listeners will get a chuckle out of this one. Um, uh, the other day I was in a Bible study class at the Presbyterian Church, and I told her pastor that uh, as she was. Uh, decoding some uh, Old Testament, New Testament stuff, you know, and giving it all the the cultural context, the historical context, you know, a normal normal thing like that. 
um, I, I said, boy, I'll tell you what, all this de-layering going on here, and what's really going on here, I think I, um, I'll tell you what, uh, I would be a boost because it's faster, better, cheaper, cleaner. <laughs> Except we have to prove that we're going to promise. If you look at this as, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, again, you know, um, those things have helped. Yeah. Okay, uh, Madame Blasky is burn up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, useless okay, evil. Uh, yeah. Yeah, useless evil. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah. Um, can, can I clarify something? You correct me if I'm wrong to see if I understand sure. what you're saying here, because I don't want our listeners to misunderstand. And you correct me if I'm reading this wrong from you, okay? We have a lot of our listeners are very, very uh, much into the discernment ministries, uh, particularly about occultism and other things, mm-hmm. which I'm glad they are because these are dangerous days, a lot of crazy teaching. Yes, and I think we all are. we all have a role to recognize things for what they are. Mm-hmm. And they, they're, they're more like show-me state or Bereans, you know? And, mm-hmm. and they may be uncomfortable when you say things like this about Vedanta and things like this. What 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 I'm thinking you're saying is you're not saying that you met a fundamental cosmic truth that supplants a truth in the Bible. No. That you found it true and the Bible wrong on something. Absolutely not. But there are okay. mechanisms of embedding wisdom and information in writing a way a technique that the ancients used to be able to find all sorts of layers of truth. Right. And having it's looked a at that, Yeah, in their culture. Yeah. Basically, look, looking at a culture that had, an ancient culture had been able to do that, it gave you a new tool that which you could go back and, and mine the Bible and find that there may be some even some lost arts of the ancients, you know. Throughout the church, probably not in monasteries. There's probably many uh, in, in monasteries and else that, that under, understood these things through the ages in the church. But it becomes a lost art in the church to be able to understand that. And that you you have rediscovered that some of that stuff's there. You know, the way I would look at that in that layering is like uh, the molecules in air. Mm-hmm. Molecules in air look like they're just banging into each other needlessly. But you have so many frequencies of radio broadcast, for example, that these molecules are all vibrating in. They're vibrating on one, you know, so many kilohertz and then so many megahertz and other things. And all those single signals are embedded in that chaos. And if you have the right tuner, you can tune in and isolate each one of those separate components. And if you're a mathematician, you could look at Fourier analysis and be able to decouple each of those frequencies. And ancient literature, including the Bible, that is commonplace to be able to succinctly within the pages put all sorts of layers of knowledge for people, uh, you know, wherever you're at to be able to find Can something useful. Can I say useful. a big loud amen for the last five minutes? Okay. So I'm, am, I, am, I, am I hitting the right wavelength of what I'm understanding? You are today? hitting it dead on. I have new tools now to help me discover the layers of the Bible. And I love those new tools so much that a few years after that, in 1996, Dr. Future, I started writing poetry myself. Okay. You took your own hand at that. Uh, I took my own hand on, 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 on layering uh, as opposed to uh, uh, 
being nothing more than a journalist. Yeah. Yeah. Or a news. Okay. Yeah. Okay. A you know a supposedly unbiased journalist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in the process. Which is interesting. If I can, if I can make a little aside here, I had a comment on my poetry the other day uh, from a dear family member. It uh, uh, said that uh, you need to pay more attention to, to reality and not inject so much commentary on it. <laughs> Uh, uh, basically, I need to be a journalist. Yeah. But then it ceases to be poetry. Yeah. Okay? And the Bible is multi-layered. And, yeah. and I never appreciated the truth of that. See, when I was, uh, before I went into the journey, uh, I read the Bible pretty much like I tried to read a map book. Mm-hmm. And, that, and this is important for your listeners. Uh, having written some math books. Uh, very precise, okay, the language, okay, mathematics mm-hmm. has its own algebraic language, it's got its own very precise syntax, mm-hmm. and, and the meaning uh, has very little latitude. It's very linear. It's very linear as we move along. Well, you get trained that way, and if you get in conservative enough groups, okay, uh, with an uh, orthodox with the Bible, okay, and especially us in the West, we approach it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, like a legal document. Yeah. Almost, okay. Uh, whereas it is multilayered. And the journey, okay, the, has left me with the ability to, uh, Go through the layers. Mm-hmm. Well, if I could give some, can I give some examples where I would think this would be helpful to you? You mentioned Bible prophecy, which well, is by its very nature a mystery. Okay, behold, yeah. I tell you, mystery. It's all it's mystery in there. Uh, without having that ability to recognize what you're just talking about, it really confines your ability to look at the varieties in which that God's prophetic word can be fulfilled. Exactly. And it can create contradictions and other problems that don't need to be there. Um, It it results to a few very, very narrow-minded prophetic views that can find the Bible and and its narrative in a way that it doesn't confine itself. Exactly. Uh, And it, and it, um, it allows you to look at all sorts of possibilities without violating the teachings of the Bible. By, by mm-hmm. having this knowledge itself, and um, I, I would just think this would be very, very liberating. And in fact, I, I'll give you another case in point by, by understanding how the ancients think. One of our pastors at church, who does a lot of study of Hebrew and, and ancient Israeli things, teaches in the Old Testament. He'll point out occasionally in the in the history books of the Old Testament. About at one place it'll say that X number of guys went into battle, and the other point it may say Y number. And many people who scoff at the Bible will say, see, this proves that it's not God's word because it is contradictory. These things are not the same. Whereas uh, our our pastor uh, that teaches in in our Wednesday night says, look, in the Eastern mind of the Middle East at this time, numbers were irrelevant. All, all, all. When they say numbers and right now, all they mean is it was a lot of people. So, isn't nobody... that a beautiful way to look at it? And then you have 
people on the other side, okay, and you know, some very orthodox, uh, very conservative, uh, what I call left brain seminary, yeah. okay, who 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 will uh, spend ten years trying to reconcile the two numbers. Yeah, right. Or <laughs> or they will come up with a laughable, fraudulent way to describe and to get around it through a loophole that, that yeah. puts more disrepute on the word than leaving it alone. And, exactly. and that's why what you're telling me is a, is a way, I want to make sure our listeners understand, can actually strengthen your faith, can actually exactly. provide you a way to stand on firmer ground in, in the assault that awaits us in the days ahead of mm-hmm. our faith. And also it can keep you from making enemies out of people uh, who don't have to be your enemies, uh, who, who God may be showing some different things in different ways. And, um, you know, that's something that I've, I've come to appreciate to people like you and, 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 and Robert Hyde and others. In fact, uh, he reminds me of something he mentioned. I, I sort of contrast your explanation about seeing the evolving mystery of God over the course of your life to someone like uh, John Calvin. Not not to pick on him, but one could say he sort of felt like he had it all figured out at the age of 27. You know, he put out his uh, his institutes, I think, at that age, and uh, pretty much had it all cut and dried on how everything was done. And, you know, Robert Hyde mentioned to me one time that, uh, you know, a lot of our activity in that kind of vein and approach within our, our Protestant world it's sort of like turning over the theology school to lawyers, which is like yeah. all the, the Pharisees, like the Pharisees were. And you've got lawyers running things, and lawyers like to get every jot and tittle right in the law and get everything just right, and they miss the big picture. They can describe mm-hmm. the bark to incredible detail, but have no idea the ecosystem of the forest itself. Exactly. And, and boy, did Jesus have a lot to say about that. I had a good Calvinistic friend tell me one time when I was still at the base, and this was before I, I met you, Dr. Feature, but uh, uh, he was, uh, what is it, I even forget now, five points or seven points? Or, yeah. You know, he, he was... Uh, <laughs> okay, still, uh, and we don't mean it. We got a lot of Calvinist listeners. I'm not making fun. That's of it. all right. It, We're not it's, it's, insert okay. whatever your favorite prophecy uh, theory, whatever it is. There, there's enough here to offend all of us in the audience. <laughs> but his uh, point of view was, you know, this Bible was uh, all you need. All you needed to know in in uh, in a left brain format. And he says everything is here. Okay, and God wants us to put him in the box. He said that. Is that right? At least he was honest. You know? (laughs) Well, okay. (laughs) (laughs) That was before I went through the whole process. But, uh, you know, I thought that was a strange talk right then. You know know what? It's pretty powerful when we can build a box ourselves that can contain God. Uh, I'll tell you, that was quite a You know, box is almost as good as a leash. <laughs> oh, it reminds me of that old fan movie, Fantastic Planet. 
Now, this is the John Sparks I love. Pull in the obscure sci-fi. I, I still have. I, I have a DVD copy of that right on my book. Yeah. That was, that's a wild one. I haven't looked yeah. at it for about four years or so. But that's well, uh, sci-fi. Huh? You're missing a lot of yours because I bought them from you for like three bucks a piece. At the now, those are VHSs, I think. And I still watch them. Yeah, but, uh, I've got a bigger battery collection than that now. Okay, yeah. I probably uh, on all DVDs, you know, but yeah. I, I think I'm kind of exhausted <laughs> what I can go after. But well, in good taste, I, uh, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I um, I'm a great believer in, in the civility and good taste. Right, which I think was the hallmarks of that era, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There was a lot more adult thinking than what you think, I mean, in a good way, adult thinking, than, yeah. than what you see in movies today. Hey, I, I want to ask you, we move along here. Um, sure. What changed in your understanding and beliefs? Was there anything that, the, that sort of like a either a position or a practice that was just common to you and your peers and your Christian walk, that if you took this process, you said, nah, I just... I really can't buy into that, even if it was just a way of thinking or whatever. Anything that comes to mind? What changed? Um, actually, I think I'm much more comfortable um, with who I am, who I am with respect to the Creator, God, yeah. who yeah. I am with respect to Jesus. Uh, living under the sort of, uh, Damocles, uh, uh, the going to hell thing is gone. See, I suffered a lot. I think a lot of Christians did. Okay, yeah. uh, yeah, you know, uh, they're always, they're always on the tightrope. Yeah. So you don't go and, to bed at night now wondering just how much you disappointed God that day? Uh, no, and, uh, and if he's going to dangle me over the flames or, you know, mm-hmm. no, not at all. Not at all. I, uh, you know, that, you know, it's such a relief. It also has made me a whole, now this is, this is probably music center listener, it's made me an awful lot more cautious of, of what I see as true, um, what shall we say, descent into a cult activities and the dangers that it presents in our present culture. Um, example, the Twilight series. Yeah. Bad news. You know, I, I'm not afraid to vocalize my opinion. Mm. Well, um, a lot of people might say, well, gee, that's just really innocent stuff compared to those those weird Eastern books that you were telling us a few minutes ago. Um, you know, these are just some little innocent fantasy. I, you know, I would beg to differ in, in the sense of the pervasiveness that that has, you know, yeah. going into our, our young people. That that's kind of a cool thing to be. Yeah. Vampirism, uh, werewolves, all that sort of stuff. Um, in other words, being the damned. Yeah, being the damned is cool. Uh, the damned that, of that, God that's is a very good. good way. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and and the acceptability of being the damned. Um, this is it, it, and it goes and it goes with the general, I say, unraveling of the whole culture. Uh, is now America damned? 
perhaps, okay, as a national entity where we, okay, here's a whole different subject, where we have 50 million unborn, the blood on our hands. Now, wait a second, you're talking about the Christian nation, right? Right. Aren't we exceptional? Hey, we're getting into Are we? <laughs> Are we? Yeah, that's what know, I, I, uh, that's what my Christian leaders tell me that we're exceptional, and especially when here you're bad mouthing it. You're part of that hate America. I, I I I think we I think we have a Holocaust uh, several times the the uh, size of whatever happened in Germany and in Russia, you know, yeah. on our own soil. Do, do, do you think maybe? Then are we uh, not banned? Yeah. Do, do, do you think that maybe like Elijah and those other prophets were sort of called the hate Israel crowd in their day? And uh, I, I, I certainly know Ahab, you know, and the others looked at them that way. They probably weren't invited for the patriotic services in Israel. Isn't that, isn't that the truth? You know, the Lord, you know, well, Jesus said, you know, that they, you know, gave a long litany there about all the prophets that, that Israel destroyed or killed, murdered one way or the other. Not all of them, but uh, mm-hmm. a lot of them. Yeah. And, my goodness, okay, exactly. Well, you know, Roger Williams, who founded uh, the state of Rhode Island, um, he, he, he told the Puritans that they were doing wrong by ripping off the Indians from their property. Of course, they were hanging Baptists from the gallows there, the Puritans. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, further theocracy state, but he was telling that that they were doing something unsightly in the eyes of God, uh, compelling people by rule of law to convert, and and basically cheating the Indians out. And and their response to him was much like how the Jews did the prophets. They ran him off in the snow to die and freeze to death, until his Indian friends that he'd been having religious dialogues with came to his rescue and saved him. Mm-hmm. And so you know he sets up a colony where. Jews, Catholics, Baptists, Muslims, others could actually be neighbors to each other and to have dialogues and talk, um, which really founded what we know as the separation of church and state, Roger Williams. He was a Baptist pastor who was going to be hung for uh, um, believing in believers' baptism. <laughs> so I don't want to pick on the Jews necessarily because we've done a pretty good job of uh, ringing out our prophets too, I believe. Mm-hmm. You know how how many yeah, they, how many missionaries and priests have been run over the barrel when they said quit exploiting the uh, the villagers, you know, when the imperialists come in. Exactly. Well, that's where you know, and that, and, and actually, uh, big church in America today. Okay, I you know has its very traditional role, and that is to support the state. Yeah, that's you what know, you that's uh, what you see. It's evolved into big church yeah. is, to, is basically an big arm. Big church, but... uh, right? Okay, and uh, it has been, uh, and it's kind of evolved into that. But yeah, yeah, I, I see big church. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, supporting state. I see um, oh, uh, big church supporting Sean Hannity. Mm-hmm. Okay, and cozying up together. Yeah. Okay, as we as we um, fight the infidels here, 
across the globe, like however they may appear. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it's an unholy alliance, all that's happening. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes and, we have uh, to get those bad guys overseas so much we have to go in their house while they're sitting down eating meals with their with their children and kill them. Yeah, well, exactly. Okay, we had, you know, and, and, and we, had, we had a perfectly good, bad dictator in Iraq. Hand-picked by us. Hand-picked by us, okay, who um, basically could keep all the wolves at bay over there without us, without us interfering at all. And uh, what do we do? We go in and dispose him and uh, unsell the whole region. Right. Well, he made the cardinal mistake. He started messing with the oil stuff there in Kuwait. Well, it's all about oil. Just like like Mosaddegh. Mosaddegh didn't want to be raped blind by the British at BP with the Iranian people, Mm -hmm. and the U.N. agreed with him, and that was his fatal mistake. So next thing we've got Americans and British dressed up like Muslims blowing up mosques in Iran, and it's virtually forbidden to speak about that on national television. You know, we've got a guy like a Ron Paul who'll start to say it, and it's almost like the Inquisition where they say, shut him up, <laughs> cover his mouth. We don't, <laughs> this is forbidden to even bring up these discussions about our nation. It yeah. is all about the oil. It always has been all about the oil. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, and it's sad. You know, I remember in the day about the future, uh, Vietnam War, um, you know, I was, well, I was radical at the time, but I, re- I remember hearing some statistic, uh, in the early 70s, um, how much that war called at that cost at that time and how many Viet Cong were killed. And making the statement, because I think I saw it somewhere else to some of my friends, you know, a better way of spending the money on the Vietnam War was to give that money to every Viet Cong term and then it's the capitalist and we would have a, uh, a friendly nation by now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, make them rich. We could make them rich for the money spent. Uh, exactly. And if and, um, you know, uh, even being a retired Air Force, we are so, I hate the way I use the word stupid, but we're so uh, childish in how we want to wield military power where I always thought our greater power, if our objective is to wield power, is our economic power in the mm-hmm. sense that we could actually build up country. Mm-hmm. And, you know... Um, you know, if we were a Christian nation like we're told in our churches, yeah, the first thing we could do is go into places without the intent to harm them or exploit them. Exactly. That would be a radical departure. And I'm not talking about for some of our missionaries have done that. But I'm talking about it's sort of been accepted policy. Everything is done with, quote, our interest at stake. And Mm -hmm. the first question needs to be asked, is it any of our business to meddle with anybody? Rather than letting individuals of other nations build their relationships and proceed from there. But the whole idea of exploitation is so inbred and just embittered into sadly our capitalistic system which exactly. has many has many virtues 
but uh, they like to bring exploitation like it's a necessary part of keeping it perpetuating. Um, you you were on the base as well as I when the events of 911 happened, and my my original thoughts were, you know, we got to do something about these people. We got to go get them. Everybody that I, church kind of folk that I was around, the whole culture, everybody's ready to go get them. Why well, this will fulfill prophecy. We'll start seeing the bombs drop, and God will use America as we understood to bring about righteousness. And I supported the Iraq War, the election of uh, Bush, both times. And as you know, shortly after that time, I started having some real changes in the way I started looking at things. And a lot of people around me had changes about that time. Mm-hmm. Um, what happened to you when that happened in the era of the War on Terror? What was going on in your thinking, making sense of it all? Actually, very early on, I got a hold of some interesting books talked about the implosions. Mm-hmm. Anything, and, you remember, anything you remember off the top of your head that was particularly notable? Yeah. Yeah. And I, that's what I said. Implosions. Okay. But, I mean, any particular uh, books? Uh, uh, I, I'm i going to have to go look, okay? Uh, yeah. We don't have time to do it right now. Yeah. But, uh, but and and David, they were very, very detailed counts of how, how these things fell down, uh, much like an imploded building. And you and you have been, uh, you know, uh, a, higher, a higher up in aerospace in in destructive, damaging testing. Right. And I, uh, at that particular time, though, Doctor Future, okay, uh, that was uh, I was moved. I had already converted my career laterally over to organizational development, so I was mm-hmm. more into the soft side. Okay, so yeah. Yeah. I was not. You know, I had a little bit different uh, role at the base. But you're still and, immersed in the, uh, you know, patriotic, rah-rah culture. Uh, Even just going to church would, would be that way, I would think. Yeah, but I was getting very suspicious of the whole scene. Yeah. I was never much of a Bush supporter. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I... Uh, well, kudos I, to you. Yeah, I was uh, actually, you know, uh, Bush one, Clinton Bush two, our uh, current president. Uh, I always, I, I kind of view them all as good cop, bad cop. Yeah. Okay. Work, uh, working for the same boss, though. Looking for the same boss, and when one gets a little bit to the point they're uh, unelectable, we're going to put one in on the other side who is working for the same boss, but throw the country off balance. Now, you yeah. want my projection who that person is? It's Mitt Romney. Yeah. I think he's being groomed for it, huh? He's being groomed because the person now is uh, getting a little bit too off balance, and he may recover, but then again, okay, we're, uh, the big boss is going to win either way. Yeah, yeah. So I am kind of, I'll be quite honest with you, Dr. Future, that in the last, Oh my goodness! Uh, we haven't talked about this. Uh, 2001, four uh, I am almost totally um, disenchanted with American politics. Yeah. yeah. I, I I I really don't care, and yeah. I don't want to make a wrong impression with our uh, listeners out. There, this is national level. You have a lot of small local cities and counties. Well, on uh, 
get in there and, and do your part yeah. for your local community. Yeah. But just be very aware that at the uh, what goes on at the national level cannot be taken at face value. Well, what, speaking of national, what do you think about this whole phenomenon with Ron Paul? What's your what's your take on that? I don't follow him too much for the aforementioned reasons. Uh, I, um, you know, I like, you know, I like him. I like, I like what he stands for. I don't think he's electable just because of his age. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, you know, and I, um, I think eventually he will be uh, discarded, and, and the Republican Party will will put forward somebody who. Is the somebody that the bigger boss wants? Yeah, you know, uh, and then uh, you know, and and uh, it's a pleasant uh, distraction. You know, uh, I don't pay too a whole lot of attention to yeah. the debate. Unless you're a judge, right? unless you're a judge, you know, one one of the things that are becoming a uh, a quaint, obsolete item in society, in American society, like the buggy whip, is the yeah. court is the court and the trial. Everybody seems to be in a big hurry to try to get rid of courts and trials and juries as fast mm-hmm. as possible. And and Ed Newt's big on that. He wants to get rid from the top down, just get rid of that whole segment of triad of the of um, you know our government, our three forms of government. And of course, our government now uh, likes to find every loophole possible now for even American citizens to be able to be uh, detained without trials. Um, mm-hmm. They're called military trials, but it's just a euphemism for secret trials. It's basically the same thing, uh, without the without the light of the public in it. Um, I'd really like to know what you're thinking about the destiny of the church in America, and what do you think its future is, and what kind of directions you think it should go, both collectively and for individual listeners that we have right now. Number one, okay, I think it it's better um, uh quit hunting up to one party or the other. Yeah. It needs to it needs to exercise a true conciliatory and prophetic role in our culture. Mm-hmm. Uh I I think a good church would do both. Uh feed the hungry, the homeless. Reach out to those who um, aren't like you. Um, and my Nazarene brethren do a good job up here in Zinia. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing just that. Uh, we have some other churches that, uh, there's a huge Baptist church down in Centerville, Ohio, who actually has a whole section of those church filled up with poor homeless people uh, every Sunday morning. And it, it's rich, and it, it's big. And they are in there singing away, listening to the Word, uh, with uh, a lot of the well-to-do. And, uh, and there's a lot of outreach to that. And I can't say that every church, you know, around, conservative church, uh, is willing or is able to rub shoulders with, uh, with the least of these. Yeah. And I, and, and to me, we need to get back to basic ministry in the sense of reaching out to the least of these, okay, to provide them, you know, um, 
physical substance, okay, a weight of the Lord, you know, and, 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 you know, to be what a church is, okay, a beacon in a lost world. Yeah. You know, and we're, we're, okay, that's, that's what we are. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, uh, you know, uh, standing on issues that, are, that have clear moral implications, like like abortion, and holding up, you mm-hmm. know, the light truth of God's word on that. Uh, but uh, that's where I, I think the church needs to go. Okay, that mm-hmm. uh, it, it doesn't need to sit down and have a drink with Sarah Palin. <laughs> yeah. How about, how about uh, many many people of of color or maybe even different religions that are sitting in jails without exactly proper trials? yeah they, you know the would jail how yeah would it be a worthwhile thing to spend some of our that time? would be a very worthwhile thing for the for the modern church yeah um, maybe I, have some uh, you know it'd be interesting to have some of our evangelical leaders decide they want to have uh, some complete unfettered access to Guantanamo Bay. In places like Camp X-ray, when when do you think the odds that they're going to? Take I, yeah, that, that, the odds like are just about uh, okay. Uh, that's a six sigma event in the negative. <laughs> <laughs> but that's on the top of their blotter, you know. Their yeah, 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 their yeah, I, 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 yeah, 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 you know. But I, I would yeah. those those uh, people down there. Yeah, those those people that are sitting rotting away in those places. Um, first of all, they don't have any money to contribute to them, mm-hmm. and they don't have any power or access. So I would say odds are pretty low that they're going to get the attention of a politician or a high-level Christian leader, either one. Right, and I understand there's a lot of these camps in Eastern Europe now. Uh, run by the, uh, uh, you know, run, run by one of our little nefarious agent, uh, or agencies in our federal government, but they're kind of contracted out to... Uh, and uh, that's where we put some undesirables. Right. Well, as our as our regular listeners know, we've had Andrew Napolitano on our show and yeah. Colonel Lawrence Wilkerson, who's the former chief of staff for Colin Powell, both of which have been to Guantanamo. And they say yeah. the hundreds of people that have been detained there, about 24 of them have any kind of remote terror ties at all. Uh, the other ones were just picked up where they took an entire village and threw them down there, or somebody got paid money to turn over somebody as a terrorist and turn in somebody they had a grudge against or something like that. And these people don't have a trial. They don't have to have any evidence to show why they're there. Um, and it's I know when, when we had the head of WorldNet Daily uh, come on our show, uh, Joseph Farron, asked uh-huh. him about this. He, his response was, as a, you know, as a major Christian leader in our nation, he said that, uh, he says, even if there are innocent people there, he says, I'm not going to lose any sleep over that. And I think that's a pretty good description about where our Christian leadership is right now. But, you know, our listeners hear me pontificate and, uh, and Tom too much on that probably. Um, do you have any word for our younger Christian, younger generation? We have a lot of younger folk listening to our show. Any kind of sage advice for them in their Christian walk or what, what you're hoping they're going to do? Uh, as individuals? Well, I want them to stay on their walk. Yeah, I, will, okay. I want them to stay on their walk. And I want them to gird up their loins and truth and prepare for uh, for the tribulated tribulation to head. Okay. Because I believe we're there. Yeah. And persecution is coming. 
And you may be a little bit surprised who it's coming from. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, um, I, you know, I always thought our country, you know, once it comes under the reign of dark forces, it will come that way through uh, the right-wing fascist side. Mm-hmm. Okay, which is what we're experiencing. Yeah, Ron Paul said that one time. He quoted Upton Sinclair. Um, right. He was responding to something that Huckabee had said, and uh, Ron Paul sort of flippantly, you know, off the top said, he says, you know, when fascism comes to America, it'll be waving a flag and carrying a Bible. You bet. And that went over really did. bad. That was a scandalous thing for him to say, but it was scandalous because there's a lot of truth embedded in it. Well, he's dead on. It will be. Okay, and you'll have some, you'll have big church with big politicians, and and they will be doing it. Mm-hmm. Let me, uh, yeah, may I interject something about uh, yeah. 9-11? Yeah. I wrote a poem here recently, uh, maybe in a book, may not. Um, uh, I view that as the anti-event of my lifetime. Almost, you know, I remember when you sent out Dr. Future the uh, list of questions, how mm-hmm. that was a defining thing for your your generation. Right. Okay. The absolute pinnacle event for my lifetime, um, maybe not for my generation, was not 9-11, but Apollo 11. Mm-hmm. And there's a contrast in my secular soul between Apollo 11 and what that represented and 9-11 and what that represents. And I just, uh, you know, sometimes I'm almost driven to tears by, 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 by the um, by the contrast mm-hmm. where, where, between the two. And I was a young man when I, you know, I was married just eight days. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I would like to think that that was a different America then. It was. But... But it was also America uh, that, that same year or the year before having the Mayline Massacre. Uh, exactly. Okay, so we we were definitely in the gooks and <laughs> and massacres and um, and um, I actually had a uh, lunch with a Vietnam era friend the other day uh, and telling him about some personal things uh, with family members and he. Um, he said, uh, you know, I still have pictures of body counts. And yeah. he said, uh, I'm fine. Yeah. You know, and I, um, there's some people did that with pride, you know. Yeah. And uh, whereas I have other friends that I'm there who uh, understand the severity now of what they went through and are getting the help they need and have been there mm-hmm. for a long time. Right. Um, so... Yeah, it was a different America, but it was also an unraveling America. Okay, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, we were down on the downhill side, uh, but there was still enough positive. That was a last hurrah. That was a last hurrah of the optimism of the 50s and 60s. I would say. Very well put. Okay, the... Uh, so, you know, uh, the technology with the space shuttle program was, you know, all second fiddle compared to mm-hmm. the Apollo series. Um, 
except for the uh, pure science that we have, a couple of uh, some of the other instruments. But uh, the the main technology, excuse me, ladies, uh, is uh, was all second fiddle. Okay, big deal, you know. Glenn went in orbit, and Glenn was a childhood hero. I mean, our early high school hero. Okay, uh, going into orbit just didn't cut it. Right, right, <laughs> right. Compared to where we had to. Right. Yeah. But those guys were the rock stars. Those the, the the Mercury astronauts were the ones who folks had their posters on their wall in their bedrooms of the Mercury astronauts. A lot of young boys that went into math and science and things like that. And, I uh, I was one of them. Yeah, I was one of them, and that's uh, those were my high school heroes. It'd be were, nice to go that. back to that, even with the specter of the Cold War. Oh wow, we were. I was in conversation with a family member a couple months ago, and uh, was imparting wisdom down. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, "Boy, could we use something like that now?" He's thirty-one years old. Yeah, yeah. That's sad. Yeah, it it, it is, and uh, it's like like the old song, you know. Where have you gone, Joe DiMaggio? Our nation turns its lonely eyes to you. Uh, that's that's, that's what they're looking at. But you know, um, like I said, there was the dark underbelly to the to the Cold War, exactly. and MK Ultra, and all this kind of stuff. I'm hoping this next generation is a generation that do what you told them to do, which is to gird their loins with truth. And and their fact of doing that and spreading the truth is what will end them into the tribulation. If they play it safe and keep their head down, they might be able to avoid some of it, just like in Nazi Germany or anything else. It's when mm-hmm. they speak up, and I think they tend to be the kinds that are more likely to speak up, and they have less to lose. They're the Occupy crowd, you know. They have less invested in mammon uh, for uh, this. Right, and then there's no way they're going to get a lot in mammon. No, it's not there. It's not theirs uh, to have anyway. That's right. They're right, so it's not going to happen. Oh, this is a complete aside. You talk, when we were first interviewing, you were talking about a little rubber down its horns. I want, I want our listeners to know, uh, that, uh, I am looking at a uh, collection of about 150 little marks dinosaurs and some British Museum tie in my office right now. So, uh, yeah. dinosaurs are still alive and well. Haven't, gr- haven't grown up a bit, have you? Haven't grown up a bit. Well, uh. Go ahead. I want to uh yeah, I wanted to close by talking about your poetry. But Oh, uh, I love my poetry. I want to I wanted to sort of like tie some loose ends because I'm really wanting some wisdom from you for our, our younger folk. Um mm-hmm. you know, they're they're gonna have some kind of way in which their own individual Christian process is gonna develop. They're gonna define their own way. But they're also gonna associate themselves in a different way. There may be mm-hmm. more small groups and less brick-and-mortar churches and things like this. Is there anything you can tell them, any advice on how things for them not to waste their time in, in their spiritual walk, uh, things that will be dissipative in their life, more fruitful venues based upon what the journey you've been on that you can share with okay. them and all of our listeners? I uh, Let's not waste our time on mammon. Okay. And, you know, extreme materialistic pursuits. Okay. Um, let's, um, 
I was there the first time, must be well aware of what the world is doing and the big picture of what that, let's keep ourselves in the Word. Let's keep ourselves fixed on the truth of Christ and what He brings to us individually as each of us are unique creations. Mm-hmm. And and by the way, you believe in Christ and Him crucified, right? The atonement, death Amen. through the atonement, the, the saving blood of Jesus Christ, atonement for our sins. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Amen? I do. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, and find a way to uh, chronicle your life experience, either journal, okay, leave a record. Yeah. Or um, yourself, mm-hmm. for others, a legacy, whatever that is, okay, whatever outreach you have, okay. I'm, I used to teach, uh, I think I probably got 200 people, two, probably 2,000 people I've influenced over the years, various classes at least. I taught, I think I ended up teaching about 125 classes at a local community college, so do the math. <laughs> you know, this is something else you have in common with Robert Hyde. He he is a, a teacher, yeah. although t- since secondary school. But what both of you have found is that you leave an enduring legacy even to an activity like that, of people who are never the same, where you touch their life. Yeah, and 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 yeah, teaching, teaching, learning, learning, teaching. Okay, have some type of ministry you're involved with. I, I think it's important for everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not all about you. Mm-hmm. A lot of my poems like that, uh, uh, with my poems anymore, okay, that's my way of kind of chronicling mm-hmm. my life, uh, yeah. leaving a legacy, uh, touching others, people I don't even know. Do, do you think uh, that a lot of your peers, particularly your engineering peers and other folks, think you're a little bit of a flake or whatever for doing that kind of stuff? Oh, yes. Yeah. But you've, yeah, had repu- was, uh, you've had that reputation for a long time, haven't you? Yeah, I kind of went lateral uh, back about 91, and, you know, yeah. um, eventually FFS was up uh, one additional level, but it took a while. But, you know, yeah. I uh, I kind of went lateral, uh, and, uh, uh, yeah, I, I had that uh, had that reputation, and uh, kind of like, you know, wow, what's he doing here? But I found avenues. Uh, the, what an organization about development, yeah, The thing that yeah. I learned from watching you in that, and I hope this is another lesson for our listening audience, is that well, you did not use the opinion of the, the morons and the headshed of the institution you're in, and everybody that works at the institution has them. You didn't let what their consideration of who you were and your value dictate the decisions you made in your life, and evidently not access your value. You sort of charted your own independent path for your career, and it didn't make you rich overnight. No. You did very well, but what it did is you, you charted a path that let you fully actualize who you wanted to be. They couldn't understand that at all. The people, the institutional people who have one path, you know, and, and it's very interesting. It's like one of our uh, our guests, Andrew Hoffman, who wrote a book uh, um, the New World Order and the Eugenics Wars, and he talks about the different org chart of Satan, the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of heaven, and how the, the, the kingdom of heaven is an inverted pyramid, 
where Jesus is the servant of all up above, the masses at the top, whereas a regular pyramid is Satan's kingdom, uh, where every link in the chain, they're totally browbeating the people below them, and they're totally mortified of the link above them. And that's the way the institutions on earth tend to function. Right. And it really behooves us to unplug from that. And to do that, we have to sacrifice the attaboys of the institutions that they would give us in massaging our egos and who our worth is and the little trinkets that they give. And all it is is trinkets that they give in our careers for that. And decide to chart our own path with the Lord's direction. And really, that's, that is a liberating process itself, is it not? I think so. Yeah, and, and and it was for me, okay? And when I finally left, um, you know, I really didn't have any uh, regrets. I, uh, For me, I had, um, you know, uh, and I will put a plug in for the, uh, at least the federal government has high experience there at Rye Field, okay? It allowed you a little bit of latitude to do what you just did, so. Yeah, right. Yeah, and if you had the uh, initiative to do it, see, you you could, have, you could have but, used your intellect and the tremendous capabilities that you had to have been a better scientist, to have made okay. more scientific discoveries. You could have applied yourself in that, but but you used your talents in a different way to be able to yeah, help people to help. Actually, I mean, you, you somehow found a way to work for the man and the government, and carve out a job where you could actually help people personally. Uh, exactly, and I, and I think it was, you know, when it got into the discussion uh, initially on the uh, on the midlife crisis and the searching and all this sort of stuff, you know, I kind of came back and became a more helping person. Yeah, but the beauty of it is you got Uncle Sam to pay you <laughs> well... <laughs> to minister to other people on their nickel, and they had no clue what they were doing. Uh, exactly. And, and 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 basically the way I helped was, you know, you, know, you, you kind of go through, you know, use secular tools, but you also are much more listening. You are, uh, wow, you know, it's much more facilitatory and conciliatory as, as you move along. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's uh it's, it's true ministry. And, but the price you pay when you do that, uh, and it really took all of your skills, left and right brain, to be able to oh, do how did. you did your career. But the price you pay is to be misunderstood by people who have a myopic, uh, you know, very much institutional view of things. And yeah, you, you um, really have to not care. And I'm just saying that to encouragement of our people who are still in mid-career and feel confined exactly. where they are right now. Um, is that you have to take more charge of letting what you do and how you do reflect your value spiritually and otherwise and put that same kind of effort you would do to try to move that next rung up the ladder. Exactly. But but do it in a way where the the 50 hours a week or whatever you spend doing this, that they can be done for the Lord's glory too. And if you're creative, you'll find some amazing ways to do it. And and that leads to our poetry. I know we're getting late in our talk here, but I want to um, hear basically why you decided poetry was a was the way for you to communicate, and and just give us a little synopsis of of a few of your projects, your your published works, you know, what their purpose was. 
Boy, now you know, that sounds pretty left brain. I've been in the habit of writing a year-end reflection and, uh, for many years, and then in January 1996, I decided to uh, try to make a poem out of a year-end reflection. And it was a very clumsy thing, but I enjoyed the process. I didn't know anything about poetry at that, that particular time, uh, except that you know, I hated to study it when I was in um, mm-hmm. college. But I also, uh, there was a little spark, uh, that was that kind of interesting, put in me way back when I was a freshman at junior high school back in a guy named Mr. James, or James Stanley, who I still have very vivid memories of uh, him, a football coach and uh, English teacher, reading to all us folks in there uh, poems and putting some real energy on top. And so he introduced us to Carl Sandburg and uh, the poem Chicago, the city of the big shoulders and, and uh, fog and, and all this sort of stuff. And I was absolutely kind of amazed. And he made, especially the guys, stand up and recite poems. And he couldn't refuse him because uh, he was a football coach. And for him, it was a manly endeavor mm-hmm. to be emotional and to uh, and to put your feelings in the words. Well, all that just kind of went in subterranean, I suppose, for several decades. <laughs> mm-hmm. But you have to understand that I was an artist as a child. I loved drawing. So the creative part was always there. So in 1996, I uh, I did this in January, and I, I kind of liked it. And so I bought a book on poet, poem forms and, and these sorts of things. And I started doing this and found that I liked it. And when I first did it, I did an awful lot of dog roll, as I say. Uh, but I also followed strict forms. Okay. And just like dribbling a basketball, okay, you know, you got to put in the time on the court. Yeah, on the fundamentals. On the fundamentals, okay. And and there are some bad ones, you know, that rhyme for all seasons, okay. I'd call that 95% dog work, okay, <laughs> but it's necessary. Right, right. It's necessary, okay. You, you saw John Sparks dribble. And all of, our lis- all of our listeners that I've been encouraging to write their own things, they've got to get yeah. that through, too. There's no way they around it. There's no way around it. You know, you get, you, you gotta put in the effort. It's like physical therapy, okay? I've been doing that this year. You, you gotta mm-hmm. put in the time, gotta put in the effort. Okay? And, 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 and doing it to a form is like dribbling the ball or practicing a pattern in sports. Okay? No matter how convoluted it sounds, okay, you gotta fit the form. It's like Matt Max. You know, you solve the quadratic a certain way. And so, I did that, and I did that for sellers. I enjoyed it. Um, and I found, after a while, that I was getting better, and, and I also found that this was a natural mode of expression for me. Mm-hmm. And and as the years progressed, I got, uh, I think, better and better with it, uh, and where it just fits me naturally now. Now, um, mm-hmm. well, some years, like 1997, I wrote a lot of them, but now I did a lot of dribbling. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but mm-hmm. uh, um, now uh, I'm content with about fifteen to twenty a year. But who who 
who who counts. Uh, you know, it's kind of like when I I'm, and I and I do all topics. Uh, you know, as as the books are. Latest book is um, is one small thought poem from Ohio poems from Ohio. Um, I'll probably put that out maybe in hard copy of next year if, uh, if Dr. Future would like to uh, put it on his website. Uh, all the listeners can download it for free. Oh. Um, that's one way to get a hold of it. The other uh, way to get a hold of it is go to the Scribe B social publishing website okay. and uh, look under the, uh, the little author there called Zechariah John. Zachariah John. <laughs> now, why, how's that? Why the unique moniker there? Any? Well, John, uh, John's my real name, and Zachariah is one of my favorite prophets. Okay. All right. Okay. Believe okay. me, I'm not one to throw stones over strange monikers. Dr. Yeah, okay. Future would be the last to do that. And um, the Calculus book is also in the same location. Oh, is, are some of these available um, on Amazon.com too? If they want to yeah, buy right. Back? Okay, and the, the lady, yeah, the Cactus book is available. It's paper pack. My previous book of poems, Gold Age of Stubble, which is not bad, is also available on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, so those are, uh, but this new one will be out uh, um, next year. But right now, if, if somebody wants a yeah. Adobe copy of it, that's how they do it. Well, your math books that you've done, I don't know how many of these are available. I mentioned Calculus Without Limits, Pythagorean Theum, Crown Jewel Mathematics, Statistics in the Service of Science, Handbook of Essential Mathematics. Are those all available? Okay, yeah. uh, Those would all be on the ScribeBD website. The only one available in paperback form is Calculus Without Limits. Okay. That's Barnes, Noble, Amazon, any any of the major... uh, Publishes like that. I never did do a Pythagorean theorem. Okay. Um, hard copy. It has been a book done since then. Well, I know the guy stole some about nine diagrams, yeah. but that's okay. Yeah. But uh, it's it's um, if a listener wants a copy, go to Scribe D, or uh, you know, if you want post it, that's fine. What about Penny Annie statistics? Was that ever released? Well, that was that, that was an internal government time. Okay. All right. Okay. Uh, so, they, for all that, of our listeners, we have a lot of listeners who are adults and they're going back yeah. to school. They've always struggled with math. They're scared of it. They're afraid. Right. It's taught in a way that just doesn't click with them. You have decades of experience teaching community college to this, these kind of people, and you teach it in a completely different way. It's a way huh. that's fun. It comes at it from a totally different angle. And people start learning something before they know it. Um, but it's a totally different, quirky, interesting kind of way to learn things. Uh, good well, I think that's strong. my personality. as uh, quirky when I, I did it. But, okay, I would like to leave this for you. When you're studying mathematics, okay, and we'll assume your adult listeners are, you know, kind of getting a, getting a hold of that uh, algebra yeah. To start with, um, you need to study it as you would a language and view it as a language, okay? Instead of a language of qualification like English, I always say it was a language of quantification. It has its, it has its own form, its own syntax, its own meanings. Uh, you'll find it uh, a lot less flexible in some ways than English and, and, 
basically a study of that. Yeah. yeah. Okay, get behind the meaning of things. Um, and I always taught it as a language. Huh. Interesting. Well, that uses a different part of the brain than what people normally use for uh, Exactly. Yeah, instead, mm-hmm. it's a language well, it's instead not, of special. Yeah. It's not a memory job. Okay, it's all about process. Mm-hmm. And the neat thing about the mathematical language, okay, is that it unfolds the process and you can do the visualization out on the paper in front of you. The language itself carries the meaning and the unfolding of the process. Hmm. Well, I'm going to yep. I'm, I'm leave our listeners to ponder that. And the yeah, leave them to ponder business. that. Um, in closing here... I've got to wonder, you know, a lot of our listeners, you know, there's some people that may grow tiresome and move on, and there's going to be a lot of them that are captivated by what you've shared with us, and mm-hmm. we'll say, well, how come we didn't force you on our show a lot a lot earlier, you know, to have you on more times? Probably some of them going to say, good grief, why do you have that fellow on the show? Yeah, usually that's about me when they make those comments. <laughs> but, uh, why, um What's your future, John? What What... What what do you feel God telling you? You've still got a, a ton of stuff to do, a lot to accomplish, and you may have radically new different directions you're being taken. What what do you feel called to do? Well, I feel this is kind of interesting that you ask. Um, I want I am feel like I am called to visit the old and to mm-hmm. be a friend to the old people. Older than me, maybe. Mm-hmm. The lonely, the old, those people are in the latter stages of life and I'm starting to, you know, to do that, you know, yeah. in a very spontaneous way. And that's one thing, of course, write more poems. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I really feel called to just be a friend of those uh, probably what our uh, social constructionists would call useless eaters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in, in our culture. So mm-hmm. for me, it's the elderly. Yeah. Black, yellow, white, red, you know, uh, they're all precious mm-hmm. in the Yeah. You know, but to me, it's the elderly. Yeah. And uh, I, I think that's coming a little bit from my own. In the last few years, you know, since yeah. I've been retired, I've uh, been um, having one physical ailment right after another. You know, I'm not on death's door or anything like that. But, you know, it's a normal degenerative old age of diseases that have called up with this baby boomer and has taught him a great lesson about his own mortality. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh-huh. I, we will name, name, mm-hmm. name the various ones, but the, they're there. You're aware this flesh has an expiration date on it now. You're aware. Yeah, exactly. Very much so. And I, when uh, we were uh, close and talking each other day by day, okay, that awareness was not there. Yeah, yeah. But I'm well aware that, uh, uh, like you say, the flesh has expiration date now. Well, you and know. Uh, Magnolia is too. Okay, <laughs> you know that kind of stuff. <laughs> May I read a poem for Magnolia's sure. sake? Sure. And this ties together a lot, and I will have her name in here. Um, But there's a lot of themes tied to this, okay? And this is, 
this also illustrates, I believe, okay, the levels that we can dig into our Bible yeah. and, and what's carried. Okay, and this is called From Earth with Love. This was written to my lovely wife, Carolyn, and it was on occasion of our 33rd wedding anniversary, which was way back, uh, 12th of July, 2003. Okay. okay. So it's nine years old now. Um, and here it goes. Do you remember, as do I, when Neil walked, so did we, on a calm and sunlit sea, one July, tranquility, filled with dreams and future. For in that month, long ago, lofty visions raptured all, moonstruck with that starry call, from life beyond this earthen ball, not wedded to its surface. When marriage is of, is of dust to dust, where seasoned limbs reclaim the ground, though passing thoughts still fly around, supernal realms never found on the planet of our birth. And I, a man, love you true. Love of God has made it so. Not angel rust, when then aglow, a couple here, now rib to soul, dear Carolyn Amar. Wow. But you see the levels in it. That, yeah, and that, that just shows how special our language can be, if we make it to be, exactly. in our form of communication. Yeah, uh, that's just not... Mm-hmm. That's facts, whether with spirit, whether with soul, and with human emotions. And equals, mean, our, equals meaning. They're right, which is what we have in God's Word, our Holy Bible. Mm-hmm. Brother John, I tell you, it's been a wonderful time with you. I could go on for four or five more hours easily, but uh, you're probably pretty pooped talking. And... Uh, uh, I know I've extracted a lot out of you in this visit. I, I hope it was a pleasant experience for you. Yeah, sure it was, Dr. Future. And uh, you know what? Keep that future going. Well, I tell you what, I hope uh, maybe when you think about uh, so, sort of your uh, getting unplugged here and sharing a little bit about your past, maybe this will lead to a prose work. Um, you, you've got an autobiography to write, and uh, some people would be benefiting from some of the information of your journey put on paper. Any suggestions for a title? Well, I, I, that's something I'm good at. I'll get on that. Uh, so get on that, okay? Uh, I'll, I'll, and be, I'll, be, I'll be working on that one. If, if, if you'll do the book, I can come with the title. That'd be the least. And, I can and let me tell you, all the listeners who want to write a little book of their own, okay, and I had to learn this with the calculus book, is, oh, you've got to do the pain of doing that outline, kiddos. Right. Right. <laughs> you and got a storyboard, you have to outline. That's the first pain. The second pain is when you get all that worked out, then you got to yep. go through the drudgery of filling in the blanks in between. And uh, you might, yeah. if you're like me, your mind may be wanting to move on to the next project, the next challenge. But mm-hmm. until you get the whole package done and publish it out the door, you got nothing. So you got you. It's like you, building a house, uh, you know, a uh, half-built house and worth anything. Exactly right. And that, yeah, goes with so, our, that goes with our faith too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so uh, you, you, you. I remember many times when I wrote the calculus book. Uh, I, I would actually ask myself, "It's kind of like self inside." Uh, <laughs> man, do I have? 
Do I do I have what it takes to move on to the next chapter and finish this monster? Yeah. Yeah, it was overwhelming, but you know, with the outline and you eat that elephant one bite at a time, it will happen. Yeah. And enjoy the process. Please. And, everybody. Enjoy and, the process. And we've all got our own elephant to eat. That's right. Eat uh, you. Well, John, John, as you're spending more time with the, with the older folk, which I think is uh, the Lord's work there, um, if another young person like me wanders across your path asking questions, take some time for them too. Oh, I certainly will. And uh, because I want them to have the kind of blessing that I had, uh, well, I that, sure that has that. a lasting lasting legacy. How how mm-hmm. can again in, in conclusion, how can our listeners get a hold of your materials? What's the best way for them to do that? Okay, again, uh, you can go to Scribe B, that's a social website, and, uh, no, so a social mm-hmm. document site, okay, right. and uh, those have been re, most of those materials have been re-uploaded, except the two latest ones, okay, the um, One Small Thought uh, and the Calculus of Outlandus Third Edition, mm-hmm. that's there in Adobe form. Yeah. If you go to Amazon, if you go to um, Barnes & Noble, you can get the calculus book in a nice hard copy format, or you can mm-hmm. get a previous book of poems, uh, Gold, Hay, or Stubble. And that's just look under John Sparks. Right, okay. If you go to the, okay, here's another one. Uh, go to Wright-Patterson. You don't have to Google this stuff. Wright-Patterson Educational Outreach. Okay. Awesome. Okay, Google that up, and you'll see a website, and then they will find that. Go in there, and they're still they still host a lot of documents that I put together, and there's a ton of stuff. Okay, there are the math handbooks. There is the uh, Air Force Brain Booster book. This is all stuff on our Adobe. There's lots of presentations. There's a paper in there called Who's Afraid of the Big Bad X? That's for all you algebra people out there who are shaking in your boots. And I've had people with 18-inch arms, okay, cry like a baby with uh, looking at that X. So fear of X, we got to overcome that. That's right. But uh, anyway, lots of stuff on that educational outreach site. Again, you know, if you want to host a new book of poems on your site, that's fine. Okay, because uh, I view poetry as, um, as air. It's free. Okay. Do you have a website? Do you do you have a website? I do not. I I do not have a uh, social website. Okay. I do not have a Facebook. Um, that's part of the uh, paranoia of, of me with big government. I don't blame you one bit. I don't either. Okay. Yeah. I. Uh, yeah. I, 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 that that will not happen. Yeah. I'll try. I'll try, I'll try to get some of these links uh, on on. Uh, uh, futurequake.com, where we have our show archived here, if you want to check out more. But if you do get any of those, even if it sounds like an old dry math textbook, uh, as well as the poems, you're still going to snicker, and you're still going to get that offbeat humor um, that makes anything that you read of John Sparks fun and terminally interesting. And, well, thank uh, you very much, Doc. John, John, thanks so much for coming to be with us. And uh, we look forward to hearing more from you in the future. Well, I'll be glad to come back anytime. Thank you. God bless. We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future. Again, as I mentioned before, flying solo this week. Uh, Brother Tom had to be somewhere. 
with the ministry he's currently involved with. And so uh, I hope you enjoyed our uh, our extended uh, visit with uh, John Sparks. And um, I hope you found him as interesting a person just from the little snapshots you got of him as he has been to me in my life. And um, um, I want to make a few quick announcements. I know we're late on our show, but I want to thank some people who have been supporting our ministry here at Future Quake. Uh, I want to thank Brother Adam, and I want to thank uh, Rich, uh, also known as Nimrod, and Gene in Kentucky uh, for generously uh, donating, uh, using the donate button right there on the front of futurequake.com and donating to help us with our expenses in the ministry and things like this. Thank you so much, guys, uh, brethren, for that. And uh, we've had uh, actually four different orders uh, for the Pandemonium book, uh, Pandemonium's Engine, that's uh, still available for sale at the front, the upper... Uh, left-hand side of futurequake.com. It's a multi-author anthology, about, I don't know, 20 authors or so, on different aspects of transhumanism. Uh, I write a chapter about Nimrod and the prophetic implications of him and transhumanism. And uh, I appreciate our our, um, listeners, our Futurians, who ordered a copy of Pandemonium. We've got uh, Sister Kathleen, uh, again, Jean in Kentucky, um, uh, Sister Layla uh, in Arizona and Brad in Minnesota. I want to thank all of you all for supporting our ministry. Um, uh, some of the proceeds of that goes to help us out as well. And we also have How to Overcome the Most Frightening Issues You Will Face This Century. And I write a chapter in that book too uh, that includes a little analysis of Babylon and things like that that are in there. Appreciate your support through those books. We only got a couple left, but if you're interested, uh, be sure and check them out. Please uh, give us um, some feedback. If you go to the front of futurequake.com in the lower right-hand corner, uh, we're getting ready to put an order in place for several different things that people have been wanting, T-shirts um, and poster, Futurequake poster from the artwork right off the of Future Mobile. And we need some feedback from you all on what kind of shirts you'd like, uh, what sizes, what kind of price will work for you all, so we can figure out what we're going to do. And we're going to probably put that in right after the first of the year so. We're talking a week or so away, and uh, like for your feedback on that. And if you want to give us other feedback about the show, then just listen to uh, Brother Merv, who will come down and tell you how to contact us at FutureQuake. FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. All right, that's in the line for us, uh, brethren. Love all you Futurians out there. Appreciate you so much. Thank you for the encouragement. We have another interview next week. It's uh, a real mind-blowing interview. Uh, some real challenging material. And I think you'll really enjoy it. And until then, I hope your future's always bright. Have a good day. Ground control to Major Tom. Ground control to Major Tom. Take your protein pills and put your helmet on. Ground control to major tones. Seven, six.
commencing countdown engines on. Check ignition and may God's love be with you. Stars look very different today.